Hi, I'm Carmen LeBurge. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Mornings with Carmen LeBurge. Inspiring you to bring God back into the conversation of the day. This is Mornings with Carmen LeBurge on Faith Radio. If we're gonna fly, we fly like eagles, arms now wide. If we're gonna fear, we fear no evil. We will rise by your power. We will go by your spirit. We are bold. If we're gonna stand, we stand as giants. If we're gonna walk, we walk as lions. Good morning. It is Monday, the 17th of October, 2022. I'm Carmen LaBerge. This is Faith Radio's Mornings with Carmen LaBerge. Um, this is the day the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. That was uh, a declaration, a promise, a statement of reality that the Lord brought to mind this morning as I was preparing to talk with you. And so let me just affirm that and confirm that again. This is the day the Lord has made. Whatever else today is going to be, this is the day the Lord has made. Whatever else you're going to encounter today, um, or whoever else you're going to encounter today, this is the Lord's day. This is the day the Lord has made. We tend to think of Sunday as the Lord's day, but this is the day the Lord has made. Um, And so how are we going to acknowledge his presence and his power, his goodness, his grace, his sufficiency? Um, How are we going to turn our, our eyes in wonder toward the Lord's creation and his grace? How are we going to practice and participate in and even revel in the reality of being forgiven, that we have a new life, that we have uh, not just a life eternal, but a real life filled with hope right here and right now, all based on what? All based on the grace of God that we experience, the forgiveness of our sins in Christ Jesus, our Lord. So that takes us to today's Growing Your Faith verse of the day, which comes from Matthew chapter 6. Remember, we're working our way through um, the um, the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew's, Matthew chapter uh, chapters 5, 6, and 7. And so we land today on Matthew chapter 6, verses 14 and 15. Where in the word are you today? I am right here in Matthew chapter 6. So these are, you know, this is the Lord speaking. And he's been making to this point um, uh, all these win statements, win you uh, give, when you um, do justly and walk humbly, when, like when, 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 when you do these things. Well, today here's an if, if statement, which I find a curious uh, thing to point out. Jesus says, if you forgive other people when they sin against you, your heavenly father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their sins, your father will not forgive you your sins. Now, this is a tremendously uh, troublesome, convicting, challenging teaching of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Notably, this is, a, this is not a when you forgive, but an if you forgive, suggesting that it, or not just suggesting, I mean, stating that it, it's actually up to you whether or not you forgive other people. It is in your power. It is not, you are not under obligation to forgive in the same way that you are under obligation to give or to pray, or to um, bless. I mean, we're under obligation to do all of those things. But forgiveness? Nope. That's that's up to you. It's up to you whether or not you're going to um, hold on to unforgiveness or whether or not you're going to forgive. 
What does it mean to forgive others as we have been forgiven? That's really, I think, the question that emerges here. It means that we forgive by grace, not by the merit of the other individual. Um, It means that we forgive out of the grace that we have received, acknowledging that we too are sinners in need of forgiveness. And I think that, you know, when we talk about forgiving as Jesus forgives, we're talking about forgiving as far as the East is from the West. Um, there's There's a country music song that talks about like offering forgiveness, but leaving the handle sticking out so that you can, you know, go over there and pull that, uh, pull that memory of the other person's sin out and, you know, hack away at the relationship again and again and again. That is not uh, the forgiveness uh, that is uh, by nature the forgiveness that we have received from God in Christ Jesus our Lord. So um, when we talk about forgiveness and we talk about people in the culture who live by forgiveness and live forgiveness out um, in their public life, I'm going to commend to you um, an episode. It's a TED. There's a TED talk based on this episode of um, of an NPR podcast, and the podcast is called uh, Dolly Parton's America. And it started out as it was just going to be this one-off interview by Radio Labs Jad um, uh, Abumrad, but it, it turned into a whole series, and it's called Dolly Parton's America. And the second episode. Um, explores the question of why Dolly Parton has such broad appeal in the culture. Why, you know, people from the extreme right and the extreme left, both politically and religiously, love Dolly Parton, like love her and and commune together um, at her concerts. And the answer to the question that they land upon is this, forgiveness. Forgiveness. And ultimately, you know, Dolly Parton says, look, forgiveness is everything. Um, I commend to you today uh, this consideration. Forgiveness is everything. Forgiveness is everything. Uh, If you forgive other people when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you don't forgive others their sins, your Father in heaven will not forgive your sins. I mean, forgiveness is everything. That's not Dolly Parton. That's Jesus speaking. Dave Buring is going to join us next from Lion's Share. We're going to talk during this Pastor Appreciation Month about Um, some things maybe that our pastors need, the current condition of pastoral ministry, and and how we can encourage them. Who's your pastor? Share with us at MyFaithRadio.com. We'd like to send them a uh, a little note and gift of appreciation during this Pastor Appreciation Month. You can do that at MyFaithRadio.com. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. I'm Carmen LeBurge. This is Faith Radio. Dave Buring is back. He is our friend from Lion Share. You can find uh, all kinds of resources at lionshare.org. If you are not being actively discipled or you are not actively discipling someone else, I commend to you the resources um, at Lion Share uh, for you to engage with as an individual and maybe engage with uh, with a group of people as well. I do that. I am um, working my way through uh, a disciple. Uh, a discipleship journey um, at lionshare.org with a group of people and commend it as an exercise to you as well. Dave, um, welcome again to Mornings with Carmen. Hey, good morning, Carmen. And yes, you are being this faithful lady being discipled, even though you've walked in a lot of things. You've walked in a wonderful way in this to get ready to disciple others. And I 
I'm excited about that. So I'm doing it. You're doing it. That's a great thing. All the all the disciples are doing it. Mm-hmm. Yes, indeed. we're all doing it. Exactly. Um, because it's a lifelong journey, right? I mean, discipleship is a never-ending process. I am. Uh, there are yeah. always uh, opportunities for me to be more thoroughly conformed um, in my character, in my ways, to the character and the ways of God. And that's really what a discipleship journey is all about. So um, let's talk about our pastors. Um, yeah. Let's talk about the condition of pastors today. Yeah, so, you know, it's always interesting to me because— one of the groups of people that I will walk with is pastors. I, I, I is one, uh, not full time, but part time. And, uh, but I, I'm always interested in the latest kind of statistics just to kind of get a feel of what I'm sensing when I'm out there versus what is, you know, written down as statistics. And there was a, a study by the Barner research folks in March of 2022. So not too long ago, about half a year ago, that was very interesting. And like, like this is a, a heavy number, you know, that 42%. So think about all the pastors in the country, 42% have contemplated abandoning their church roles because of a number of different reasons. The number one reason is stress. 56% said the st- immense stress of the job has cons- has caused them to consider just leaving pastoring. 43% said they were lonely. 38% said current political divisions that have spilled over to the church. And another one that's interesting is I am unhappy with the effect this role has had on my family. 29%. So you're you're dealing with some stuff here that's that's very real and pretty serious. Yeah, and when we think about um all of the demands or the expectations that we have of our pastors or that are pa- placed upon pa- pastors. You know, if I think back to the days in which, um, you know, pastors really had the opportunity to know and shepherd um, a flock of people within their, you know, geographic influence and care in a particular, like, parish or community, right? A one particular little place. That has changed so radically. And now, we have these expectations of our pastors that are maybe um, not not super healthy for us or for them. So can we talk about um, how pastors can stay healthy or become healthy again um, in just a moment? Sure. That's great. So this is Pastor Appreciation Month. We're talking with Pastor Dave Buring. Um, he also serves at Lionshare. You can find that at lionshare.org. Um, how healthy is your pastor? I mean, when you just think about the state of your own pastor or pastors on the staff of your local congregation, you know, are there ways that you can encourage them in terms of their own health? Um, because we want our pastors to be, to be healthy in order that they can serve the body of Christ well in the role to which God has uniquely and specifically called um, and blessed them. That's up next here on Mornings with Carmen. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Mornings with Carmen. As you know, this is a rebroadcast of the live radio show carried on the Faith Radio Network. There's a lot going on at Faith Radio. Tons of free resources just waiting for you and for you to share with others at MyFaithRadio.com. How does that all happen? Well, it happens through listener support. So Faith Radio, Mornings with Carmen, all available because of listener support from listeners, well, just like you. If you're a supporter, thank you so very much. If you'd like to become a supporter today, just visit MyFaithRadio.com. And again, thanks for being a part of what we do every day at Mornings with Carmen. You say I'm loved 
Continuing our conversation with Dave Buring from Lion Share. Um, Dave, let's talk about how our pastors can stay healthy or how they can become or be restored in health if, you know, if they're, if what they are experiencing is sort of the undue stress and burden of pastoral ministry that has become something other than maybe uh, God intends it to be. Yeah, it's a it's a big deal. It's a big question. And I think there's a lot of paths we could go down. The The one that I have experienced the most um, with pastors throughout our country, maybe even some internationally, is oftentimes what happens, like the rest of us, there can be untended emotional woundings that have happened in one's life that they don't go and get counseling. They don't go and get help. They don't go and get healing. They just kind of continue to sacrifice because oftentimes, you know, pastors are very sacrificial. They lay down their lives for their flock and I don't need this or we don't need to spend money on this or I don't need to take time to do this. And yet I have seen that as the number one fail is we're not remaining healthy and we don't remain healthy. And and what I mean by that is emotionally healthy, mentally healthy, spiritually healthy, and, and frankly, relationally healthy. Oftentimes because of how much pastors give out to people in need, legitimate need, that they don't surround themselves with healthy relationships where they can just, you know, kick off their shoes, laugh, enjoy, you know, people's presence and doing fun things together and being renewed that way. That that is a that's a dynamic that's very real there. And and with that, Carmen, oftentimes because of the sacrificial nature, they don't take enough breaks. They don't take enough vacations and they don't frankly learn how to unplug the church and responsibilities while they're away. They've got to learn to, to be able to let go of everything so they can be replenished. So, I mean, those are a few of the pieces that, that I see out there. Mm. Um, how would you initiate a conversation? Like, you know, let's just say hypothetically, you know, you are a church member. You are, you think that you are, you're seeing, you're experiencing. I mean, even if it's just a spirit of, like, you can tell your pastor's under a spirit of oppression. Or you can, mm-hmm. you can tell they're weary. You can... You know, you can see it in their physical body in addition to, um, you know, so the way they're even holding their shoulders in their head, let alone the words mm-hmm. that they're speaking um, or the way that they're responding under stress. Like, so let's just say I'm, I'm a person who recognize, recognizes and, you know, in my senior pastor and one of the other pastors of my congregation, like, I just recognize this. How does one approach that as a church member? Yeah, one of the things that's really good to know is that Oftentimes, the training that pastors have received, which is not right, it's not biblical, but they've often received it, is you cannot open up to those that are in your flock. And you have to be the strong one. You have to be the one that carries it. And it's not a safe place to open up to other members of your flock because they could use what you're saying against you. So, So they're taught this. This is not a good thing. I mean, we're supposed to be walking in community and a shepherd is an is part of that community. And, you know, so, so when you go in and you see the slumping shoulders or the discouragement landing on them, just know if they don't open up right away to you, it's not you. Your heart's right. You're doing the right thing. But I find oftentimes the first step is just maybe asking them, how can I pray for you? 
because that's one place where pastors will often be honest and they'll, they'll generalize. Like if there's a stress point going on in the church, of course, they're not going to throw another flock member under the bus, but they might say, you know, I'm dealing with a couple of really stressful situations. I don't know what the Lord wants me to do on it. If you could pray for wisdom for that, don't pry. Don't try to dig in deeper and kind of get nosy and find out who that is. Just say, you got it. And, and matter of fact, just say, hey, can I pray with you right now? And just grab their hand and begin to pray for them. So I think praying, you know, in that way is is a really good start. Mm, so good. Um, talk with us about um, uh, discipling the disciplers. Like who, I mean, is it okay for me to just like straight up ask my pastor at some point, like who disciples you? Like how does mm. that, how does that work in your life? Because discipleship, as you and I have noted um, and experience, you know, together, like it's a lifelong experience, but there's a lot of people who've never been discipled. And yet, you know, we turn to them and say, you know, gosh, it's the Christian mandate. It's the great commission, go and make disciples. And they just kind of look back like, <laughs> I've never been discipled. So I don't really know what you're talking about in terms of making a disciple. Talk with us about who's, who's discipling the disciplers. And if my pastor doesn't have an answer to that question, like how do I encourage them to be in an active discipling relationship where they are being discipled, not just discipling others. Yeah. And uh, via the National Disciple Making Forum, which Lionshare, the organization I have the privilege of leading is a part of years ago when we were gathering to, to get started and seeing what God would say to these disciple making people and leaders, it, it became, Carmen, our number one observation was the, the greatest hindrance to disciple making in our country, the senior pastors. And that was that was not said negatively. Matter of fact, it was said with a lot of compassion because most of us in that room at one time or another had functioned in that role. But the reality is 80 to 90 percent of our dear, precious senior pastors have never been discipled. And so when you talk with them about this, it automatically kind of goes into the bin of, well, that's the education department. We need to help kind of get the adult education. And and because they've not been discipled, there's not a grid there oftentimes to look at that through. And so it's really important that we understand that and have patience with those who are our spiritual leaders because they lead so well in so many different ways and are so sacrificial in what they do for Jesus and his kingdom. It's an amazing thing. It's a group of people I admire right at the top of the list. Um, it's not a business where they can just, you know, make business decisions. This is decisions they make affect family. It affect relationships, and that adds to you know all of this. And I, I, the way I will try to do it is, if I learn of that, I will try to come alongside and encourage them. I will, because of what we do with discipleship, will often jumpstart things for pastors, like maybe getting a small group of pastors together and showing them how. Hey, why don't you let me walk with you for a month or two and show you what this looks like? Because many of them would say to me, I've never seen what this looks like. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, they may jump to something like that because they see the need. Like after COVID, Carmen, it exposed the body of Christ to the lack of discipleship. The foundations were not good. And um, so pastors are a little more open to looking at these things today. All right. Well, there's great resources um, for you as an individual and certainly for your pastor. And maybe you could um, explore being discipled um, and discipling others at lionshare.org. And maybe it's something that, you know, as you experience it, you could share it with your pastor um, as well, if you're looking for resources, they are available, like they exist.
So um, so check them out, lionshare.org. Dave, as always, uh, thank you so much for joining us. We appreciate it. Have a great day today. You too. You too. It's Pastor Appreciation Month. Let us know who your pastor is. We'd love to send them a note and a gift of appreciation from Faith Radio. Just let us know at myfaithradio.com. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. I'm Carmen LaBerge, and this is Faith Radio. Welcome to the First Church of Mercy, where the doors of love swing open wide. No matter who you are. Well, we're, uh, you know, fully engaged in what we might consider the final leg of the race toward another election cycle here in the United States of America. And so lots of conversations happening in the culture um, about um, about this election cycle. And as Christians, we want to be prepared to engage in those conversations in ways that honor Jesus. So again, you know, it's not about being red or blue. Um, It is about bringing the mind of Christ to bear on the matters of the day, including the, you know, the very important matter of, as a citizen of the United States of America, who am I going to vote for? Um, Who am I going to elect to particular positions of leadership and service? Who would function as a servant leader in a way that um, aligns with the character of Christ. Um, who who would lead well these people? Um, where are our servant leaders, and and how are we going to elevate them to positions of elected office? And then how are we going to hold them accountable? Um, how are we going to serve alongside them as citizens today? So um, one of the questions out there is to debate or not to debate. So let's debate that uh, next with Dr. Adam Carrington. We'll also touch on what happened in the January 6th committee uh, hearing last week. And with the midterms two weeks away, you know, how are things looking? That's up next here on Mornings with Carmen. Joining us now, Dr. Adam Carrington from Hillsdale College. Um, Good morning, Adam. Good morning. How are you, Carmen? I'm, I am well. I am well. So um, we often say on the other side of an election that elections matter. Um, and so let's talk about the upcoming midterms just two weeks away, but lots of folks already voting in states across the country. Um, you know, maybe just the reminder of our responsibility as, um, as citizens of this representative democracy, like, you know, why does my vote matter? Maybe that's a good conversation to have. And then maybe give us a sense of how things are looking with the midterms just two weeks away. Right. And I think it is good to remember that this elections are a replacement to historically what's the other way that we deal with things. Uh, it, it would be by force, by violence, by which army had more guns, who was stronger, and that that would settle who is in charge. In fact, a Federalist won the first Federalist paper defending the Constitution says most governments have been formed historically by accident and force. Just you happen to be in the right place or you had enough uh, of a military to, to, to make your case be the one that wins. And then we're trying to change that by having a government that's formed and maintained by deliberation and choice. And um, voting being the the way of manifesting that deliberation and making that choice. And it's hard to overestimate. I think we become complacent because we've 
done it really well overall, uh, you know, some exceptions, but over well overall over the course of our country's life. But the, the, the fact that that means that we're not uh, using violence in the way other countries do uh, against each other, the fact that we have peaceful transfers usually of power uh, and that that really vindicates our cell, I think it really vindicates the image of God in us, that we're rational, that we deserve peaceful, reasonable discourse with each other, and that we respect each other enough to uh, abide by the results of uh, how we uh, adjudicate our disagreements. So I, I think we need to really celebrate that and say that as a government of, by, and for the people, we have the sovereignty. We are the ultimate human rulers under God, and therefore exercising this right is also a duty, and exercising it intelligently, thoughtfully, and and with the principles of God's law in mind, I think is a duty that we need to take seriously and, and be thinking about this fall and every uh, fall that an election's coming. Now, what, what does it look like, uh, this, this election? There's a lot of back and forth about what the result's going to be, because partly we're We've had enough polling errors the last couple of elections that we're not leaning as heavily on those metrics. But the, uh, uh, the, the basic fundamentals still point toward a pretty good year for the Republican Party. I think especially in the House, they look on pace to pick up that chamber and pick it up with a decent number of seats. The Senate is going to be razor close, and that's partly because without getting into the details, I think – uh, the GOP has a couple weaker candidates in winnable races that may cost them some seats they could have gotten. but And governorships, I think, will go pretty well for the GOP. But the underlying reason being that the party in power, uh, which is the uh, the Democratic Party, normally is the one under the gun in, in a midterm and normally loses seats. But if you look at the economic indicators, the inflation that will not go away and keeps getting worse, if you look at in indications like uh, the rising crime over the last couple years, if you look at just the, the, the way people are worried about their day-to-day -day lives and see government as being part of the problem but not the solution right now, uh, all those point toward, I think, a pretty good uh, 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 pretty good uh, result for the party not in power, which is, of course, the Republican Party. So uh, we'll, we'll, of course, see, and some, some late developments could happen in particular races over the next couple of weeks, but I think that's the lay of the land and why being aware of who you think is the best choice to lead the country at this moment is, is so important itself. Yeah, and if you live in uh, Colorado, Florida, Ohio, New Hampshire, North Carolina, Georgia, Arizona, Pennsylvania, Wisconsin, what am I leaving out? Nevada. I mean, you are in the, you know, in the states where the balance of the Senate is really, um, you know, the probably the conversation of the day. And then in every state that's electing a governor, right? I mean, that's a really important, um, you know, as in my view, as all politics are are really local, like, right, what matters to me most in terms of what's happening in my own state is not only who's in my state house, but who's in the governor's um, office in my state. Yeah. And so all of those are essentially want to encourage people to be voting. 
Yeah, Carmen, if I could just add to that with the governors yeah. and state legislatures, I think some we, we because of how big and, and important the national government has gotten over the years or the decades over the century, we, we tend to downplay the importance of states. And I think the uh, COVID and the responses to it and the varied responses to it, and I'm not even saying what were better and worse, but really showed how important state governments still are, how much they still are making decisions that are important to people's daily lives. And I think that sometimes gets hidden in how much the national government gets the spotlight shown on them. But I hope people have realized that who you elect to those offices, especially governor, but also state legislatures, still does make a very large difference in your day-to-day life. And I think the, the COVID era, I think, at least showed people that that's more the case than maybe they realized. All right. I want to talk about something else um, that happened last week that we did not, um, you know, we didn't dwell on here on the show. And so I wanted to uh, give you an opportunity to help us reflect on this. So the January 6th uh, committee investigating the the events of January 6th, 2021, um, help us understand um, where we are in that process and what the committee finally did during what some people think was their last hearing, but may or may not be. Yeah, they're supposed to sunset or end at the end of this year unless they're renewed, which is highly unlikely. So they are coming up toward the end of their proceedings. As you said, this could be their last committee meeting, although they have enough time to have one or two more if if they choose to. So they're in what you would consider the wrapping up phase of the investigation they've gone into and the evidence they're trying to collect and the case that they're trying to make. That's been, I think, the biggest point. The case they're trying to make, which has really been one that January 6th was a bad event, a a troubling event as far as some of the things I talked about earlier, about peaceful and 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 transfers of power and 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 the how we adjudicate our disputes. But also the bigger thing and the most controversial <clears throat> has been the place of former President Trump in all of that and how, to what degree is he um, uh, uh, to be blamed or or, or not for some of the events that happened? And uh, to what degree did he have legitimate or illegitimate concerns that were underlying that? So as part of that, uh, what the committee did was subpoena former President Trump to have him come and testify before the uh, Congressional Committee. And that is a pretty extraordinary action. It's not completely unheard of. There have been presidents, even sitting presidents, but also former presidents that have appeared before Congress. But it's pretty extraordinary to have it done when Congress is investigating something directly related to the president himself. And, um, you know, a lot of people are asking, will the former president appear uh, to answer their questions about his role in January 6th? I think it's almost uh, not unlikely. It's almost impossible. It's not probably going to happen. And I think the committee knew that the timing of this is very late in the day. I think if they were really going to push this and really draw this out and really try to make this happen, it would have happened months ago, uh, much earlier in the process. But I do think they were trying to lay down a marker of at least we asked the president to come and, and talk about this. 
so uh, again, this will play to people's priors. <laughs> to what degree is this just trying to make a show of this? To what degree is this trying to get at the truth? Um, I, I probably a little bit of both. Uh, but uh, I, I think it just uh, reinforces what uh, an extraordinary event January 6th was. Uh, but I think that um, it, it, the evidence that they've really collected is probably going to be left at where they are now and that the American people are going to have to assess it based on that, not on whether the president actually testifies. I think that's that's probably not happening based on how he responded and just based on how this uh, the, these proceedings have gone on. It's um it's fascinating to watch. It's a good uh, it's a good reminder of how the process um, works and what all the component parts of the process are and how referrals are made between different um you know how, how different branches of government are in conversation with one another or when they fail to be in conversation with one another how they kind of take each other to court. Um, I mean a subpoena sounds like uh you know a legal uh, you know it, it is it's a it's a legal act right and um, failure to respond to a subpoena is punishable, right? You could be held in contempt. So in this case, it would be contempt of Congress. Um, and what does that look like? And then who would who would decide whether or not uh, that should be prosecuted? I assume that is the U.S. Attorney's uh, Office, the Department of Justice. That, that would be. And it is fascinating because it is, uh, in some ways, the uh, Congress is itself exercising a kind of judicial power, which is an exception to the rule by being able to subpoena uh, to get, and, and that's meant to be in as part of their <clears throat> their actual uh, constitutional powers of uh, investigating and making sure that the laws are being followed uh, properly as they've written them, um, and whether they need to change or modify them. Um, but uh, you're, you're right that then that that involves then an appeal to the third branch, the judicial branch, when there's that dispute between the legislative and executive branches. So that is pretty extraordinary. And um, it, 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 it and, and one of the questions is, on one hand, it's, it's I think it's one thing to have lower executive officials be brought to answer for what the executive branch has done to uh, uh, to answer that before Congress. You're starting to get into some more murky or difficult separation of powers waters if a if you force a sitting president or hold a sitting or or hold even a former president in contempt for what he did as president, because one important thing to the separation of powers is yes, having the branches check and balance each other, but also making sure each branch maintains its independence of action within its legitimate sphere. And I think working out exactly how you would do a former president testifying would be you'd have to be careful and nuanced to maintain both things one branch checking the other but both branches maintaining their own powers and prerogatives and you may say well who cares we just want to get at the truth yes but uh one thing we need to always remember and this is part of what voting does back to that issue is is how you do something matters not just what you're trying to do because how you do it protects uh, our, our liberty, if done properly, it protects uh, the integrity of the process so that there's less chance for abuse. So, yes, we want to get at the truth and vindicate the truth, whatever it is. But we also want to respect a process that keeps our structure of, of, of government uh, working soundly. Yeah, I um, I'm fascinated. I mean, you know, in my in my own sense of, of history. So this could be wrong. Right. Um Never before, in my recollection, 
as a president of the United States, had so many um, questions brought before the Supreme Court or brought questions before the Supreme Court in relationship to their, um, you know, their service to the country and their time in office and on and on and on. So I, it's it's been a very, very fascinating and interesting um, sort of civics reminder in terms of the branches of government and the separation of powers, how they check each other. Um, and and it's been an, it really has been an ongoing lesson, I think, for all of us. Um, all right, Adam, let's take a very, very brief break. When we come back, I'd love to spend some time talking with you about um, Nicholas Cruz, the person responsible for the Parkland shooting. Um, and the, I mean, the, the avoidance of the death penalty in this particular case, which certainly seems as if the death penalty were ever going to be applied, um, this would have been a case where it might have been applied. So um, having a conversation about the way Christians think about punishment um, in regard to the state, that's up next. Here on Mornings with Carmen, we're talking with Dr. Adam Carrington from Hillsdale College. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Mornings with Carmen. As you know, this is a rebroadcast of the live radio show featured on the Faith Radio Network. There is a lot going on at Faith Radio, tons of free resources just waiting for you and for you to share at MyFaithRadio.com. My guess is you spend a fair amount of time on social media. So where do you spend your time? Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, YouTube? Well, have you followed or liked Faith Radio on those platforms? I would invite you to do so. I'm there as well. If you want to check out uh, my personal pages, you could connect with me individually. We would love to have you uh, use the resources that we have produced and are creating and posting on social media for you to share with others. We got all kinds of stuff from graphics to, you know, Bible verses. I don't know. There's all kinds of stuff. Go check it out on your social media. Connect with us on Faith Radio social media. And, you know, let's get the word out to others. All right. Back to the show. Again, thanks for listening. Love connecting with you at MyFaithRadio.com. You're my defender. Nicholas Cruz um, went to his former high school armed and prepared to take the lives of many people. Um, And uh, it was Valentine's Day. Um, You know this story. His objective was to kill as many people as possible. Um, And he confessed, ultimately, to uh, that murderous rampage. And the jury trial, which just took place, was not the, you know, not the conviction of the crime, but the penalty phase. And so Dr. Adam Carrington from Hillsdale College is going to help us understand what happened um, because a jury was unable to arrive at a unanimous verdict in terms of the state of Florida exercising the death penalty in this case. And so Nicholas Cruz will now spend the remainder of his life um, in prison. Now, here's my first question, Adam. Is it possible that the judge, because the sentencing hearing apparently is still in front of us, like, right? So is it possible that the judge could find that the jury was wrong and he could still face the death penalty? Or are we now at the place where Nicholas Cruz is going to spend the rest of his natural life um, in prison without the possibility of parole? The the judge would not be allowed to overrule and institute his own verdict, although there, there was some – the prosecutors are upset uh, that a, a certain juror said, said something to the effect of there was some um, uh, disagreements among the jury that, that, that may show 
uh, that that maybe the process wasn't as clean as it should have been. I mean, without getting into that, uh, I think the judge might have some power if there was overwhelming evidence to order a new sentencing trial with a new jury if the jury seemed to have been tampered or or done something uh, 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 against the rules mm. of deciding. But then it would have to be that jury that would have to make the decision too. So it, you couldn't unilaterally do that. the The way that this has been set up is that by law, it's the it's a jury of one's peers that makes that determination so that 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 at least to that i think that um uh, uh that's probably not going to happen we probably do have the the sentence that is going to be nicholas cruz's sentence going forward well for the for the rest of his life so let's talk about that let's talk about um you know the the role of the state in terms of punishment and then let's also, you know, as Christians, have a conversation about about redemption um, and justice. So let's just walk around in, you know, in some of these conversations. Right. And it's interesting, I, I point this out to my students, the names we give to places where we confine people convicted of crimes. I, uh, uh, so there's, uh, we call them reformatories, right, which has in the name reform. So one purpose that we've that often is talked about is about reforming the person who has committed the crime but we also have what are called penitentiaries the idea of penitence the idea of paying for one's crime because there is some sort of of punishment that's just deserved be as a result or reaction to something that is done uh, there's also restraint. There's not necessarily a, a word for that uh, that that is a direct parallel but so uh, I think that one one thing that we have to consider are the purposes of the state, and uh, and and it certainly is to restrain evil. It certainly is to punish evil. You see that in Romans thirteen, as the uh, Paul saying that uh, that that the, a gov- the the ruler is a terror to bad conduct, but is an honor one who honors good conduct. So you see that, um, but then the question becomes. How far can that punishment go? And and the question that I think a lot of Christians are asking here is, um, to what can the state take the life of someone as punishment? And on one hand, I think there is biblical evidence for that. And I don't just mean that there was the death penalty in the Old Testament. I mean that uh, you have Genesis 9-6 where it says, if man sheds uh, blood, uh, then by man shall his blood be shed, which I think is t- looking to the institution of government. Uh, you have Romans 13 again with Paul saying that um, the, 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 uh, the, the magistrate bears the sword, and that was a very clear indication of the use of violence by the state if necessary. So I, you do have that. At the same time, I think uh, the, 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 the wisdom of the Christian is to see how would that fit with the, the goal of the church in saving souls and redeeming souls. And I think that's where the question of death versus life in prison and the question of just justice, um, that's where I think Christians uh, are legitimately wrestling with what is the best way of balancing why God has instituted a state and what the purposes of the church are here. Um, historically, the church has said both are possible, that you, could, you the church seeks the redemption of his soul while he is awaiting death, but that death could be a legitimate punishment as well to vindicate the image of God and the persons that were whose lives were taken. 
I think here about the importance of um, ministry, both to the survivors who were there, um, to the families of those who did not survive, I mean, whose lives were taken. I think about the family of Nicholas Cruz. I think about him um, and the ministries, the people who will now minister to him, who have been ministering to him um, to this point, and and the years which lie ahead. I mean, I when we when we talk about um, life in prison without the possibility of parole, particularly with someone so young. I mean, this is a very young man, and he may live a very long life. Um, and I think it's worth our consideration, um, you know, as a people, what, what does that mean? What does that really mean to, I mean, I'm not saying that it's illegitimate to sentence a person in this way, um, but how do we weigh that in our minds when we're talking about a very young offender and we're talking about um, life that may be very long and has no possibility. Like that, that's, there's like, there's no, it's taking away any possibility of hope when we say there's right. no possibility of parole. And I'm not suggesting that there should be the possibility of parole. I'm just suggesting that we should, as Christians, have a conversation about what it looks like to rob someone of their hope. And And the question of, age and family background. I mean, I think, I think, I think one reason that he didn't get the death penalty were arguments made about, uh, the, the difficulties of his upbringing, the difficulties of his, uh, childhood. And I think those should be taken into uh, effect and the age can be taken into, into account. And I, I guess too, the, 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 one of the tensions here also is, um, you know, if you go back even to ancient times, they talked about, you know, one reason we live in communities together is not just to live, but to live well. And so in some ways, by vindicating uh, Nicholas Cruz's right to live, we are undermining his ability to live well. And, uh, and, and, and of course, as, as you're saying, uh, the, the, the tragedy of all this is trying to uh, juxtapose that to what does it mean to give something of justice to his victims and their families whose own lives are now going to be in a certain way imprisoned by his actions? Not literally like he will be, but in a very real, dark, spiritual way, uh, uh, absent a, a miraculous work of God in their lives as well. And I think that uh, the bigger part of this is that uh, uh, is that there is no perfect solution here. There is no perfect justice. Um, what a, fa- a, a, a tear has been made in the fabric of these people's lives that only I think the new heavens and new earth could heal and fulfill. And so I think while well, we need to wrestle with these deeply and we can't leave them, we have to make real decisions. It also just should just put us on our knees and say, "Come, Lord Jesus, come," because. That's going to be the only way that these that that this tear will be made whole, that this brokenness will be put back together, and all we can do is the best we think wise to uh, to, to mm. try to make everyone's life whole the best we can here and now. Mm. Adam, thank you so much. Hey, that's been uh, hour one of Mornings with Carmen. We got another hour up next. Thanks for listening to this podcast of Mornings with Carmen LeBurge from Faith Radio. 
If you haven't, you can subscribe to automatically receive the podcast through iTunes or the Google Play Music app. That way you never miss an episode. It's also available anytime at MyFaithRadio.com.